Discover over 100 episodes of Bartholomew Town on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. It's a great question, Bill. Where is Rodan today? And I mean, I think for a lot of people, the economy is number one, and there's a lot of really mixed economic data. Some people asked why we changed our name from Rodan Public Public Radio to the Public's Radio. I think it was a reflection largely of how we were increasing our broadcast area to include a lot of southeastern Massachusetts. Welcome in to another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. On today's episode, we circle back with the Publics Radio's Ian Donis. Always a pleasure to have Mr. Ian Donis on the program, one of my favorite reporters in the market, doing great work over at the Publics Radio. That's Rhode Island and Southeastern Massachusetts NPR affiliate. All right, and right before we get to my conversation with Ian, I just want to give a shout out to a terrific person and listener. Eric Palmieri of Eric Palmieri Pizza Designs out in Johnston, Rhode Island. He dropped by the loft last week with a gigantic custom-designed Bartholomew Town pizza pie to celebrate episode 100 of the Bartholomew Town podcast. Quite a gesture and really appreciate it. Heartwarming and delicious. Go ahead and give him a follow on Instagram at Eric Palmieri Pizza Designs or go say hello at D. Palmieri Bakery out in Johnston, Glad to bring you this podcast, Eric, and um, thanks for listening and all your support, and thanks for reaching out as well. If you want to reach out, it's bill at bartholomewtown.com. You don't have to send a pizza over. A hello or any other salutation will suffice. Support for Bartholomew Town comes from PDQ Graphics of Newport, a full-service commercial printing company and graphic design studio serving Aquidneck Island and the surrounding area for over 40 years, specializing in creative graphic design, offset and digital printing, as well as large format signage. Discover more at pdqri.com or give them a call at 401-849-3820. And without further ado, let's take you to my conversation with the Publix Radio's Ian Donis. Ian Donis, welcome back to the Bartholomew Town Podcast, now of the Publix Radio. I think it was still, it was like days before the switch the last time you were here. Yeah, it's great to be back, Bill. And, uh, you know, in Rhode Island, we like referring to things by their former names. So a lot of people still call us Rhode Island Public Radio. Some people reach back for WRNI, which was a name we gave, gave up in 2011. But, it, you know, it's Rhode Island's NPR station, Public Radio, and we are enjoying some good growth which is a nice thing to be doing when there's a lot of challenge in the media landscape right now. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like the old exit numbers on 295. They'll always be there for for some Rhode Islanders. (laughs) But speaking to the growth, uh, just this week, the Publix Radio announced a Newport Bureau coming, a South County Westerly-based bureau coming. I mean, that's huge. That's like going back to the days of the journal, the statewide bureaus, and now it's kind of this new entity, if you will, filling that void maybe. Yeah, it's really exciting. And we opened a New Bedford bureau uh, recently with a very talented young reporter named named Nadine Sabai, who's going to be covering New Bedford, Fall River, the surrounding uh, southeastern Massachusetts towns. And, uh, you know, we are growing. Our newsroom is still smaller than some of the other news organizations around like the Projo or Channel 12, Channel 10, but we are getting larger. We're increasing 
increasing our capacity that allows us to do more things. And the thing that I, uh, you know, love about what we're doing is you get a mix of local, national, and international reporting. You can get up to speed very quickly on what's happening in Rhode Island, in Washington, in a foreign capital, and, uh, you know, great interviews with, like, Terry Gross and uh, shows on the weekend like Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. So I think it's a, a fairly compelling package if I can toot our own horn a little yeah, bit. Yeah, why not? Yeah, I would agree. It's it's a really specific version of public radio. I mean, I need to every specific market is, but as you you know, your own show, for example, uh, political roundtable. I mean, that's it's. I wish it was longer. That's my only complaint, to be honest with you, as a listener. It's a, but but it's a it's a wonderful thing in a sense that you can also focus in for basically ten minutes a week and really consume something. Um, hyper local that has that sits well in the international conversation it doesn't you know it can flow right into something out of the bbc and it has the same caliber of content delivery if you will yeah and i've heard from other people that they would like this to be longer basically we have two segments that air friday mornings they're recorded on thursday each runs about nine minutes that's about 20 minutes of Q&A with a guest from the world of politics. We mix it up. We hear from conservatives, liberals, moderates, um, and we try to be really on point in the questioning. So I've, I, I was really pleased. I heard from one of my peers who's also a reporter who was talking about an interview we did with someone and it was less time than an interview by another media source with the same individual, but they felt our interview was better because it was more focused. It was more kind of concise and efficient. And the length of the program is kind of a function of what we call the wheel at public radio. We use a mixture of our own uh, reporting and our own programs with what we get from NPR in Washington and other producers. So it kind of has to all fit together to round out a uh, every hour of the day. And that's what influences it. But we are steadily increasing our amount of local reporting. And when Rodan's public radio station first launched about a little more than 20 years ago, there was initially a program called One Union's station and it was like a daily magazine type show and after 9-11 the resources of the Rodan public radio station got redirected to Boston's WBUR public radio station so now to make a long story longer of you know part, part of what we're doing is trying to get back to having a daily program and you know there are other things going on we're planning to add an investigative editor so we can do more investigative reporting and uh, Tori Malati our general manager announced this week that we are more than halfway toward a fundraising goal of six million dollars that money is going right back into the newsroom and our capacity so we can do more reporting and deliver more value for Rhode Islanders. You're also kind of expanding a bit, at least in theory, into the arts culture side of of this market, this broad market, because you really have a footprint now in, on the South Coast in a way that really only Channel 10 has a similar footprint as far as Brian Crandall's out there. I mean, so that you've got this broad ter, uh, terrestrial 
region that you have a, a ton of different arts communities within. Is that something that's kind of on your I know that's not your department, but is that something that will drive the public's radio forward? Yeah, thanks for that question. You're absolutely right. We have a expanded segment we call Rodan Artscape. It used to be now – it used to be once a month. Now it's once a week hosted by our morning host, Chuck Hinman and James Baumgartner, and they highlight an arts-related story every week, talk about a couple of the interesting arts events happening across the region. For example, we're – taping here in your studio on a Thursday, and today's Artscape was about a Gorham Silver exhibit at the uh, Rodan School of Museum, uh, the RISD Museum. Yep. And Gorham Silver, of course, was a one of the great old-school manufacturers in Rhode Island, and they made silver. A lot of people still kind of treasure the, those heirlooms. But yeah, I mean, you're right. There's a lot of really rich stuff happening with the arts when you talk about Rhode Island and going out to New Bedford and Fall River and uh, covering a wider area, uh, which has been boosted by the acquisition of the 89.3 FM signal from UMass Dartmouth. That has enabled us to grow our audience. The more audience we have, the more listener contributors we have, the more we can do in our newsroom, the more capacity we can build. Right. Do you feel a sense of responsibility I, I asked Scott McKay this question when he was on um, with the 89.3 acquisition to deliver local music back on that airwaves. That was a that was a pillar of local music that's just now hasn't really been replaced. I feel like that could be something that the public's radio could deliver down the line, you know, not necessarily the same amount or time amount, but maybe uh, maybe even l- raise the bar, if you will, of, of the local music that can be delivered. Yeah, I think there we obviously have more of a capacity to, to report on the South Coast, all aspects of the South Coast. Now that we have a bureau in New Bedford, I know some people were sad about the loss of WUMD as a terrestrial music station. I love music myself. I can understand where they're coming from. But I think some of the the way some people talked about it, they're like, well, we can get, get WGBH in New Bedford or we can get WBUR in Boston. I think that really misses the point because with rare exceptions, WGBH and WBUR are not going to report on what's happening in New Bedford in a way that a a station that's closer to that area that's really part of the same general area like the public's radio is. So, you know, and acquiring, it was really kind of a tough situation for public radio prior to the acquisition of WUMD. We're obviously the smallest state here. We were on three separate signals across Rhode Island. Right. Now, you know, there maybe there are some people who are real public radio geeks out there as they're cruising around on Interstate 95 and will spin the dial to pick <laughs> us up. But, right. you know, that was not, a, from a competitive standpoint, from a standpoint of growing our audience, that was not a good situation. And by Acquiring 89.3 FM, we now cover virtually all of Rhode Island, as well as a big part of southeastern Massachusetts. Our audience numbers have exploded, and that was really vital for not just the survival, but a better future for public radio in Rhode Island. And I understand 
you know, some people mourning the loss of WMUMD, but it really means an increase in reporting on local issues in southeastern Massachusetts. And yes, uh, you know, music should be a part of that. I'm sure there will be times when our weekly Rhode Island Artscape looks at the music scene in Rhode Island and southeastern Massachusetts. And and, uh, so, you know, it might not be a perfect solution for those people who were upset by that, but I think there are other good things that are happening with that yeah i agree that that's moving in the right direction anyway for and music has shifted off of the airwaves anyway if you're being realistic about it i think talk and content is growing in terms of its value on terrestrial signals but music you do lose the gatekeeper kind of mystery aspect of discovering something you never in a million years would have selected on youtube or spotify when that goes away but i think that could shift more easily to the digital platform as well so the just the live discovery aspect of things and i don't know it's, it seems to make sense that 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 talk-based content would dominate airwaves going forward yeah, I mean, I listened to a lot of college radio when I was a little bit younger and a little more steeped in the music scene, you know, in like New York and Boston and college stations, you know, at the time did a great job in breaking new music and exposing new music to uh, people who had not heard it before. And it's also, you know, more of an experimental, non-commercial format. Uh, you know, I think that's a great thing. But, you know, I guess my bottom line is for public radio to really get stronger and have a sustainable future in Rhode Island. We needed a a better, stronger signal to cover the region. Yep. And of course, you're also working on some podcasts and you have a website that is always updated with new content and reflects the content that's been put out in other situations as well. So you have a a vision for a more three-dimensional version of what the public's radio will be. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I, you know, a lot of stuff going on, so it, I, it's tough to remember it all sometimes. But as you say, we have two people who are developing a podcast called Mosaic about the immigration experience in Rodan and southeastern Massachusetts, in some cases going back hundreds of years. This is expected to roll out sometime this summer. I think I think they're going to be about 30 episodes. This will be the most ambitious pod-taking experience by the public's radio here in Rhode Island. And I, you know, I think it's going to be really interesting. There will be some great stories. And uh, yeah, you know, there's a lot of stuff on our on our website. I think that radio can be a little bit of an ephemeral thing. Yeah. You know, we're taping here on Thursday, for example. I had an interview that aired this morning with the chairwoman of Renan Senate Judiciary Committee, Erin Lynch-Prada, about what's going on with, with the abortion debate at the State House, And, you know, if, you know, if you're, you're, you know, a lot of people might listen to the radio when they're getting ready in the morning or driving to work or a little bit at work or, you know, at their, their you know, whatever. But it, you don't always catch everything, but if it's on the website, that gives it a kind of permanence and a place for stuff to live and to be found. So I think the website is really vital for a radio organiz- uh, organization such as ours. Yeah, it brings it home, the color scheme, that all matters too. Seeing your logo and your headshot or whatever it is, it all matters as you're consuming, especially in the print format. I think it really helps to be not 
on Facebook reading something, but actually go into that world that the website creates. Yeah, and to come back to the name change, I mean, some people asked why we changed our name from Rodan Public's public radio to the public's radio. I think it was a reflection largely of how we were increasing our broadcast area to include a lot of southeastern Massachusetts, and we wanted a name that was less specifically geographically tied to Rodan. You know, I would have been fine with keeping the name Rodan Public Radio. The public's radio is fine too, but I think the important thing is the quality of what people are getting out of the radio. And one thing I really like about uh, public radio is you hear a really broad range of voices, both from our own newsroom, like I said, on political roundtable each week, we have liberals, conservatives, moderates, the kind of political interviews we get from NPR in Washington. I mean, there was an interview last week with the guy who wrote Alabama's highly restrictive abortion law. So you get interviews from both sides of the perspective from NPR, and it's done in a civil, respectful way with tough questions. And I I find that compelling. Yeah, it's definitely a good balance to talk radio the, the the traditional talk radio at least in this market frankly i mean that's that's it's nice to have those two options to be able to go back and forth i love the the callers to talk radio a lot of times you know i, I just love getting that close to somebody who cares about this stuff but you know and feels compelled to call matt allen uh, but at the same time it's nice to zoom out and you know hear something that you've produced or hear something that's coming out of washington or wgbh that's a little bit more refined and a little bit more respectful, I guess. Yeah, know? and I mean, we try to really emphasize, uh, you know, we try and do tough journalism, but treat people respectfully, and we're not about shouting at people or having people screaming. I mean, I think there's so much <laughs> hyper-partisanship, obviously, yeah. in the country now that people are looking for a place to go where there can be civil dialogue, where you can explore different sides of an issue, but be civil about it. Absolutely. Moving to Rhode Island here, it's, you know, the election situation, no surprise. I mean, not even really a surprise that the governor achieved 53 percent of the vote. Um, The Reform Caucus, the progressive movement kind of gaining some legs in Rhode Island. You know, we've seen that that's not a a significant amount of momentum, you know, in in party inter-party challenges you know, and and legislation that's now been stifled in terms of the Reproductive Health Care Act. But where do you think Rhode Island is today? Is it basically where it was three years ago, kind of moderate Democrat, socially semi-conservative with ambitions to become a more progressive place? Is that pretty much sum it up still? It's a great question, Bill. Where is Rhode Island today? And I mean, I think for a lot of people, the economy is number one. And there's a lot of really mixed economic data. I mean, on one hand, the unemployment rate is really low, but people like URI economics professor Leonard Ladaro have pointed out how there's some more troubling indicators like the size of the labor force in Rodan is down from maybe like 2006. Some people are apparently discouraged from seeking jobs and have given up. So it's kind of a mixed outlook, and that raises the question why, particularly when the national economy is going pretty good. I mean, I think a lot of people 
would agree that the legislature would uh, benefit from more competition and a more balanced representation between Democrats and Republicans. Sue Sienke, the new Republican chairwoman, is very articulate. She's bringing some energy to the fight. But her predecessor, Brandon Bell, also had those qualities, and that really didn't result in any gains for the GOP. So it's kind of same as it ever was. And um, But, you know, I think it's important for citizens to follow what's going on, to get involved if they are so inclined, and to take an interest in public affairs. I mean, I think those of us who live in Rhode Island love it, but at the same time, there are some very concerning things. The longtime unfunded pension obligations in Providence and other communities, there's a bit of a cloud over Warwick now yeah. uh, with uh, reports of a possible federal investigation. So yeah, and they're stifling journalists going in there. Warwick Beacon's been banned from City Hall. You know, it's it's wacky. Yeah, and uh, so you know, on on you talk about like where are we now compared to the past, and I guess <laughs> I mean I think sometimes people romanticize the past a little bit. I think throughout the course of human history, things have been pretty stormy, and there's always been a mix of wonderful things and pretty terrible things, and we certainly have some big challenges here in Rhode Island. Yeah, no question about it. My concern, I guess, as I look at it right now is I wonder how many of the million or so people in Rhode Island are really aware of the fiscal challenges that we face. And I totally agree that I'm not, I certainly have almost zero elements of social conservative beliefs within me. I think anyone who's listened to the pod now, 103 episodes by the time this airs, would have figured that out. But at the same time, I'll lean fiscally conservative for sure at times. And and it seems to make sense and then you, you compare that with some of the ambitions of some of the progressives in – not even in power and either in – who are seeking power uh, or in the General Assembly in, in sort of low roles at this moment. And I just can't do the math. I can't add up how we could connect the dots. And that's, that's what concerns me is that we're going to be stuck in this battle of ideals – uh, that don't really have any uh, element of practicality. You know, you raise a really great point, and I sometimes, you know, I report a lot on the legislature, and I know you know that House Speaker Nicholas Mattiello is perhaps the most powerful elected official in the state. And I've done some tough reporting on him and, you know, I've also done reporting that, you know, sheds light up when he does something that might be considered more positive. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the, my point is that if you went out in Kennedy Plaza or if you went outside your studio here and asked 15 people who is the Speaker of the House in Rhode Island, we might be lucky if one or two people knew who it was. And obviously, when politicians – I'm not saying – 
speaking with specificity to anyone in particular right now. But when politicians feel like the public's not paying attention and they're not really accountable, that's not good for the public interest. So I applaud you for doing your podcast. It's a way for people to get some in-depth information about elected officials and other parts of the Rhode Island scene. We and my peers at other news organizations try and do our part to inform the public. But, you know, when one thing that has changed from the past is that there's been this kind of shattering of the media into more pieces. It used to be that, you know, the Providence Journal was the 800-pound gorilla in Rhode Island, and it you know, if any, if a leaf fell off a tree, right. it was in the Procho and everyone read about it or everyone watched Channel 10 or Channel 12. Now, ever since the rise of the Internet, people get their information from a lot more different sources, some of them perhaps not as reliable. You know, obviously the readership of the Procho is way down and you know some people might just get information from Facebook and you know of course there's the potential for good information to be shared on Facebook but as we saw during the 2016 presidential election there's the opportunity for deceptive information to be shared as well and some people are not appropriately skeptical about that information so as a journalist i mean that's something that concerns me i think we still have a pretty competitive media landscape in Rhode Island with a lot of really good reporters. I would like to believe that if there's an important story, even if it's from Hidden View, it's most of the time it's going to get out. We are going to expose it and report on it. But if if citizens don't avail themselves of the information that that is out there, you know, you can't lead a horse to to drink. And that's that's a concern in this day and age. Absolutely. Um, The Boston Globe you know, making a move into Rhode Island, or really have made a move into Rhode Island, just kind of waiting for an office at this point, it seems. Um, how much does that impact what you're doing at the pub, the, the Royal U at public radio, uh, the public's radio, and, and generally the media market here? Does, is that a major deal breaker? Is that, that, I think to me, that should up the competition level in a way that would improve everybody's game. Yeah, know? I agree with that. I mean, one of the reporters who was hired by the Globe, Amanda Milkovitz, formerly of the Procho, said this is not about the Procho versus the Globe or vice versa. It's that competition is good for everyone. And I agree with that. I mean, along with Amanda, the Globe hired Dan McGowan and Ed Fitzpatrick, both excellent journalists. And, you know, they, I think they are still kind of figuring out how they're going to do what they're going to do. We haven't seen a lot of reporting from them so far. They did have one in-depth story on the abortion issue. And it was recently reported that the Globe now has more digital subscriptions than print subscriptions. And that's believed to be the first time this has happened for a major American newspaper. Uh, Digital subscriptions are not as profitable for newspapers as print subscriptions, but they are kind of the future. So that is a significant development. And the whole impetus for this Rhode Island initiative by the Globe is to increase its digital subscriptions. And I think it's a good thing. I mean, I think the main fallout from that is, you know, the pro 
Rojo has to rise to the occasion a little bit more. I don't think we at the public's radio are as directly affected by that. Uh, but I think, you know, it is a good thing to have more reporters looking at what is uh, happening here in Rhode Island. Yeah, it's also a, a fresh brand as well. The the photo that, for example, that, that most of the McGowan stories that have included anything about Mayor Lorza, there's a very specific photo of the mayor. Just the tone of the photo, the the color of it, it's it's different. You wouldn't it wouldn't run on your website or wouldn't run on the Providence Journal. It just looks and feels different. And I think that's a really healthy thing as well for the creative portion of the media, which that's a big part of it as well. Like bringing people in that may otherwise just not care about it anymore. Yeah, and I mean, I think the Globe traditionally was a very large organization compared to media organizations in Rhode Island. No surprise, because Boston is a larger city with a richer advertising base. And uh, it got some attention this week when one of the top editors in the New York Times, Dean Baquet, said that he thinks most American newspapers are going to be out of business in five years. I mean, I think the Globe is is one that is better positioned to make it into the future because of its success in developing more digital subscriptions. And it does, as you mentioned with the photography, it does still have a larger staff when it comes to reporters, photography, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, at the same time, we have a different model at the public's radio, we have the nonprofit model where we get more than 90% of our funding from our listeners and organizations right here in Rhode Island and southeastern Massachusetts. And there hasn't been a lot of movement by newspapers to the nonprofit model, you know, pretty understandably, because most newspapers are owned by for profit companies that want to make a profit. But uh, we have seen some other nonprofits start up. ProPublica is an investigative journalism organization based in D.C. Our healthcare reporter, Lynn Arditi, is doing a one-year program with ProPublica. She had a great investigative report recently on uh, 911 in Rhode Island. Yep. But it shows how the nonprofit model can be a sustainable way of preserving some of the news organizations into the future. And, you know, this is another change caused by the internet. It used to be having a newspaper was basically, basically a license to print money. And then when news was given away for free, uh, it kind of turned everything upside down. And yes, there's advertising on websites, but that is far less profitable for newspapers than the old school print advertising. Yeah, you wonder what the next steps will be, how the, the, the creative process will go, whether it will become more of an interactive web experience and live events or who knows what. You know, that's to be determined. Last question. What's the summer like for you in Rhode Island? What do you like to do? Well, I love summer my wife uh, loves summer. She loves going to the beach. She, my wife, uh, I'll poke a little fun at my wife. She is a native of Burrowville, the coldest, oh, yeah. snowiest corner of northwestern <laughs> Rodan. But she lived in Hawaii for a number of years, so her blood thinned out. So she, her teeth chatter all winter long. And then when summer is here, she's always dragging me to the beach. But. As you may know, Bill, I'm a big baseball enthusiast. I love the Red Sox, and I play in a recreational baseball league, so I'm hoping to get some more innings in to deploy my slider this summer. 
And, um, you know, summer is just the beauty time in Rhode Island, you know, going back to when Newport and the Gilded Age was a place for the rich from New York and other parts of the U.S. to vacation. And uh, it's just a, a great time. And But, you know, the summer is when the House chamber at the State House features the budget debate yep. in, in with a, a hot temperature in there and politics never takes a holiday. You know, there's kind of a cliche that the, the news is slower in the summer. But I think if you're an enterprising reporter, there's always lots of interesting stuff to look into, and I, I plan to remain busy. Yeah, sleuthing around Capriccio during the budget time, you know, that's one way to get <laughs> some information. Right. Yeah, summertime in Rhode Island. It's why we do it, pretty much. The Publix Radio, Ian Donis, it's all happening right now. Coming to Newport and South County. Look out. Big time. Bill, thank you so much for having me, and it was a great pleasure. A real pleasure. Hopefully we'll be on a lively experiment again sometime soon. I hope so. As always, thanks for joining in on the Bartholomew Town podcast. Hey, remember, Bartholomew Town Live at PVD Fest is coming up this Saturday, June 8th at 3 p.m. on the arcade stage right downtown in the creative capital, Providence, Rhode Island. We'll see you there. Until next time, I'm Bill Bartholomew. We'll talk soon.